Hello, my name is Stacey and welcome to Run With Me On This, a podcast to motivate, educate and distract you. There are two versions of this podcast, so if you're hearing music right now, you've downloaded the music version. This is perfect for those of you wanting to listen whilst out for a run. The music is designed to be upbeat and keep you going for the next half an hour or so. All of the songs are from independent artists and the playlist will be available in the show notes. If you're not hearing any music, then you've chosen the beat-free version. Feel free to listen whilst you chill at home, on the train or in bed. Don't worry, I'm not offended if my voice helps you to fall asleep. Other than the music, both versions are exactly the same. This episode is all about sleep and dreams. Does cheese give us nightmares? Do we really swallow spiders in our sleep? And why do we count sheep? I'm going to answer all of these questions and so many more. So if you're not too sleepy, why not run with me on this? So I usually start my episodes with a bit of history. And this episode is no different. As with everything, sleep was invented by the ancient Egyptians in 3000 BCE. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, no one invented sleep. It's just a natural bodily process. However, the reason we sleep was not discovered until relatively recently. Alcmaeon of Croton was a Greek medical theorist in 500 to 400 BCE. No one really knows when he was born, so dates are a little bit vague. Not only did he discover the Eustachian tube, now this is the tube that links your ear to your nose, and you'll be very aware of this if you've ever been on a plane and had a build-up of pressure in your ears that you've needed to pop. Not only did he discover the Eustachian tube, but he also had some rather interesting ideas about sleep. Alcmaeon believed that sleep occurs by the withdrawal of blood away from the surface of the body to larger blood-flowing vessels, and that one becomes awake again once the blood returns. If the blood withdraws completely, dun-dun-dun, you die. I mean, it must be true. Aristotle believed this too, at first. He then later changed his tune, and in 350 BCE, wrote that sleep occurs due to the body digesting food. The heat from this causes your blood to evaporate up to the top of your body, taking all the blood away from the blood vessels in the heart. When the blood gets to your brain, which at the time they thought was the coldest part of the body, it condenses and falls back down into your body and back to your heart. Whilst all the blood has gone out of your blood vessels and your heart up to your brain, obviously you can't do anything and that's why you sleep. Once it comes back down again, you can wake up. This process removes impurities from the blood. And when you wake up, you have lovely clean blood and all your food is digested. Oh, to be a doctor in a time when you could just make up any random stuff you want. It wasn't until the discovery and creation of hypnotic or soporific drugs that scientists started to understand that sleep must have something to do with the nervous system. In 1864, German chemist Adolf von Bayer first synthesized barbituric acid, which would later be used to make barbitol, a sleeping tablet. Now, there are two differing stories to account for how barbituric acid got its name. The first claims that Bayer and his workmates went to the pub to celebrate making this new compound, and it just so happened to be St. Barbara's Day. Everyone was out drinking and making merry to commemorate the patron saint of artillerymen. Bayer took Barbara and added it to the word urea, which is a major ingredient for the product, and came up with the name barbituric acid. 
Another story of discovery claims that the name came about because Bayer got the urea he needed by collecting the urine of a Munich waitress named Barbara. Now, I know which story I prefer to believe. I wonder if he paid her for the urine. And what was so special about Barbara's urine that he needed to use that? Did he not realise he himself produces urine of likely the same urea content? And he could have much more easily collected that rather than looking like a pervert begging for wee-wee from the young women at the local cafe. Despite the discovery of Barbara's super special urine, it wasn't until 1903 that two scientists, Emil Fischer and Joseph von Mering, found out that Barbatol was very good at putting dogs to sleep. And boy, if it could put dogs to sleep, maybe it might just work on humans too. Ka-ching! Give those sleeping tablets to the masses. Unfortunately, it took another 50 years of pill popping before people realised that barbiturates are really rather addictive. For this reason, they are generally not used as sleeping tablets anymore. Nowadays, short-acting barbiturates are used for rapid induction anaesthetics and long-acting barbs are used as anticonvulsants in people with epilepsy. High doses are used in physician-assisted suicides, euthanasia and for capital punishment by lethal injection. Whilst Bayer and company were putting people to sleep artificially, many other scientists at the turn of the last century were trying to discover how we sleep naturally. They also wanted to know why we sleep. By becoming unconscious and paralysed, we make ourselves vulnerable to attack from predators for a good few hours each night. And when I say we, I mean humans and animals alike. Obviously, our brain needs time to recover and restore itself. Isn't it funny, though, that this fits in almost perfectly with the 24-hour clock? This is due to circadian rhythms. Your circadian rhythm is basically a 24-hour internal clock that is running in the background of your brain and cycles between sleepiness and alertness at regular intervals. Research on different parts of the brain found the hypothalamus was the sleep centre and responsible for circadian rhythms. From the 1920s, research then rapidly progressed to discover the different stages of sleep, including REM or rapid eye movement sleep. This stage of sleep is when the brain is thought to consolidate memories. You also have quite vivid dreams during this stage. If you drink alcohol before bed, you don't get a lot of REM sleep, which means your memory might be affected and the next day you can't really remember anything. And also, you might be a bit grouchy. In the 1950s, the role of melatonin was discovered. This is a hormone known by its friends as the vampire hormone. Ha, 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 ha. Because it only comes out at night. During the day, melatonin is practically undetectable in our blood. However, when it starts to get dark, usually around 9pm, melatonin shows up to the party and starts coursing around our bodies. This hormone's only job is to make us sleepy. It's more like a, an energy vampire hormone. <laughs> I'm here all week. So this would explain why you can fall asleep in the dark cinema, even if you weren't tired when you sat down. Or is that just me? The melatonin lasts about 12 hours, and so by around 9am the next day, it should be out of your system. The circadian rhythm of melatonin is one of the contributors to jet lag. Your body still thinks you're back in Blighty, even though you're now in Chicago. Melatonin is released and tells you to go to bed, even though it's the middle of the day. You can buy melatonin tablets nowadays to try and reset your body clock. Or, to sort out your jet lag, you can just ride it out and stay awake until nightfall.
This is a perfect place for me to stop talking and let you listen to our first silent talkie of the episode. This is going to be a great upbeat song with some fantastic lyrics that will hopefully motivate you to keep on going. It's easy to speak out about the way I live, but it's a 24 karat dream. No supermodel in my dirty jeans, but in my 24 inches heels. of our lives asleep sleep is essential if we get deprived of sleep we become delirious psychotic and can risk death i'm not a great sleeper i struggle to fall asleep and struggle even more to stay asleep i look at my husband lying next to me at night and wonder how he can just close his eyes and fall asleep as easily as if he switched off a light once i'm asleep i tend to wake up every two hours like clockwork and then i tend to wake up just before my alarm clock goes off now Many people blame electronics and bright screens for causing an increase in sleep deprivation in developed countries. But back in the olden days, and by olden days I mean Neolithic times, when they didn't have smartphones and iPads, did they get their eight hours a night? Of course not. In the absence of artificial light, humans naturally fall into a biphasic sleeping pattern. They tend to go to sleep just after dusk and then wake up for a few hours in the middle of the night. They would then go back to sleep and wake up once the sun has started to rise. Instead of feeling concern over being awake during the middle of the night, people would use this time for prayer, reflection, sex, chores, reading by candlelight and visiting friends. This practice went on until way into the 18th century when, and I mention it in every episode, the good old industrial revolution came along to ruin things. 
People needed to work longer hours, preferably during the day to take advantage of natural daylight, so sleep had to be regimented. Once electric lights, street lamps and clocks were commonplace, people became more aware of the passing of time. Even in the dark of winter, you know what time it is, and you know if you're late for work. In hot countries like Italy and Spain, working in the afternoon at the hottest time of the day is not conducive to a productive workforce. Therefore, they have their own biphasic sleep pattern by way of a siesta. If you've ever been to Italy in the afternoon, the streets are like a ghost town, whilst everyone goes home to rest and have a late lunch. Then they're all out again in the late afternoon and the shops are open until midnight. I've been in Spain and seen families with small kids playing out in the park until midnight, whilst I've been trying to get shut out since nine o'clock. So if you're having trouble getting to sleep, what can you do to clear your mind and drift off into a peaceful slumber? Of course, the most classic method is to count sheep. But why sheep? Why not pigs or rats or worms? Legend has it that shepherds in medieval Britain would share the fields and have all their sheep grazing together. At the end of the day, they would count up their sheep before going to bed. Of course, that may be true, but if counting sheep was so effective, those shepherds would never have finished counting their sheep because they'd all have fallen asleep before they got to the end. Alternatively, there is evidence in a 12th century book of fables called Disciplina Clericalis that suggests counting sheep was already a popular method in Islamic culture for relaxing. But does it actually work? Research suggests, no, not really. Of course, focusing your mind, eliminating the thoughts of the day and slowing down your breathing can make you more likely to fall asleep. However, you could be counting for 20 minutes and still be wide awake. <laughs> That's thousands of sheep. A more effective method is to picture a waterfall or a calm babbling brook. Another well-known method for helping you get some much needed Z's is a mug of hot milk before bed. So how does milk help induce sleep? It contains tryptophan, which is an amino acid that helps the body produce serotonin. In turn, serotonin helps create melatonin. We talked about that earlier. As we know, melatonin induces sleep. It's been found that older people are more likely to succumb to the soporific effects of milk. It's unclear whether there's some chemical change in elderly people to account for this, or whether memories create a psychological association between having hot milk and being comforted by a parent, for example, which relaxes the drinker. Did you know that if you harvest milk from cows at night, the milk is full of melatonin? And then if you drink this, it has heightened sleep-inducing properties that can help you to relax. Imagine that job, sneaking into the cowshed at night to milk cows in the dark. So if milk is good for sleep, why does cheese get such a bad reputation for causing nightmares? In experiments conducted by the British Cheese Board, <laughs> they must have been so pleased with themselves when they came up with that name. It was found that cheese before bed actually improved the quality of dreams, made them more pleasant and more memorable. And it depends which cheese you chomp as to what sort of dreams you have. Cheddar results in dreams about fame and celebrities. Lancashire cheese leads to work-related dreams. Red Leicester cause nostalgic dreams about childhood. Cheshire cheese, interestingly, led to pleasant but dreamless sleep. Now Stilton, 
gave the most bizarre dreams, with one Stilton eater claiming that she dreamt of a vegetarian crocodile who was upset because he could no longer eat children. It's believed that the bluer and stinkier the cheese, the higher the amounts of certain biologically active compounds, which occur as byproducts of bacterial or fungal metabolism. These compounds include some amines which have psychoactive properties. So cheese is good for sleeping because of the tryptophan found in the milk, but maybe stay awake from the Stilton unless you want to have proper trippy dreams all night. Now, it's time for some sexy talk. The bedroom is, according to the National Sleep Foundation, designed for two things, sex and sleep. But apparently, we're not getting enough of either. People in general, whether single or in a relationship, are having less sex nowadays than our counterparts in the 1990s. This could be linked to poor quality sleep, as people are more tired and have a reduced libido. But could having regular sex improve the quality of sleep you get? Whilst there's no evidence that sex makes you sleepy, it can help you to sleep better. But it's not the completion of the act, but more the act itself that has the effect. The hormone oxytocin is released in conjunction with feelings of affection and sensual touch. This leads to a feeling of well-being and relaxation. The more relaxed you are, the better you sleep. And you don't need a partner to benefit from this. Self-pleasure is just as effective. Animal studies have shown males who ejaculated without the presence of a partner had better quality sleep. Which animals they studied and how they got them to ejaculate, I don't want to even think about. Even though similar studies have not been carried out on humans, sleep expert Nicole Prouse believes sexual activities should actually be prescribed for those struggling with insomnia. Can you imagine going to the chemist to get your repeat prescription and all it says on there is sexy time once before bed? Excuse me, sir. How do you want this? As it comes, baby. As it comes. So it's recommended for humans to get between seven and nine hours of sleep per night. That's all well and good for us, sleeping in a bed, in a locked up house, hopefully away from predators. For animals, however, getting the right amount of sleep isn't always that straightforward. Many birds, such as albatross, spend most of their life flying and hardly ever land to sleep. The albatross sleeps for just 42 minutes a day, but may take naps whilst they're actually flying around. Dolphins sleep with just half their brain at a time to be sure they've always got an eye out for predators. Giraffes can't afford to let their guard down for a second, and so they rarely sleep for more than five minutes at a time. They take short power naps while still standing up and only half close their eyes. Why is this? Well, if they lay down to sleep with their big bodies and lovely long legs, by the time they get up on their feet to run away, a lion would have had them for dinner. All in all, giraffes sleep for a total of 30 minutes per day in short bursts and therefore have the shortest sleep requirement of any animal on earth. But not all animals have to be so alert. For others, like sea otters, they can just lay back and relax, literally. Sea otters sleep in the water. The only thing they really need to worry about is floating away while they sleep. And so to prevent this, they sleep in a group and all hold hands to make a kind of floating otter island. They manage to get a refreshing 11 hours a day in this way. One of the more disturbing things I read was that spiders don't sleep. Well, not in the conventional way anyway. 
They don't have eyelids, so they can't close their eyes. But you can always tell if a spider's having a little rest because they tuck their legs in underneath them. Whilst we're talking about spiders and sleep, it's time to debunk the myth. You do not swallow eight spiders in a year whilst you're sleeping. Spiders are far too interested in tending their webs to intentionally come anywhere near us at night. We're too noisy and we cause too many vibrations. Spiders are very sensitive to vibrations. They certainly aren't in a rush to get inside snoring Sally's gaping cake hole when they could be snaffling on a nice juicy blue bottle instead. And talking of animals and sleeping, how do bears, hedgehogs and other hibernating animals manage to sleep through the winter without having to eat or use the toilet? When food is scarce, some animals just choose to sleep through the cold months and wake up once it's warmer and food is available. Hibernation is a kind of state of suspended animation. The animal's heart rate slows down and their temperature drops to prevent their bodies from using too much energy. But how do the animals stop themselves from getting too cold? Well, in the case of the white-faced hornet, they build their nests out of paper, but they're not ripping up the Daily Mail to make their nest. They make the paper themselves by munching up bits of wood and mixing it with spit. They then layer the paper so that the air between the layers acts as insulation. Throughout the winter, the hornets vibrate their wings to produce heat, and this keeps them going until the next spring. But hibernation isn't necessarily a winter thing. It's not just reserved for those animals wanting to avoid buying their family a Christmas present. The African sharp-toothed catfish can hibernate in a waterproof mucus envelope for up to a year if their lake dries up. They can do this because they are one of the only fish that can breathe through their skin. Now, if that's not enough to give you nightmares, I don't know what is. Well, I think we'd better take another break, hadn't we? It's time for our second silent talkie. This is a really fun song. So if you're just hitting that hill and struggling, like I usually am around this time, just listen to the music, let it move your feet. You're gonna get there.
about sleep without talking about dreams. A dream is a series of images, ideas, emotions and sensations that usually occur involuntary when we're asleep. Dreams usually occur during REM sleep when brain activity is so high it actually resembles that of being awake. On average we have three to five dreams per night but probably won't remember a dream unless we're woken up during it. If you're dreaming about things from real life then this is likely your brain processing emotional memories from the day. The study of dreams is onerology. One of the most famous interpreters of dreams was Austrian neurologist Sigmund Freud. And now, it's time for my top 10 fun facts about Sigmund Freud. Do, 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 do. Number one, his middle name is Shlomo. You know, like Sean Connery saying Slomo. Shlomo. Hi, I'm Shlomo. Fact number two, he had a chow chow called Joffy, who he would use as a therapy dog to sit in on his therapy sessions. Fact number three, he was the first psychiatrist to get people to lie down on a couch during therapy sessions. And now they all do it. I mean, it's like a classic psychiatrist trope. Fact number four. Oh, well, that's it really. Those are really the only fun facts I could find out about him. Everything else is just penis envy and cocaine. Freud believed dreams to be the disguised fulfillment of a suppressed wish. But no matter if your suppressed wish was to eat your weight in chocolate or to sing with Pavarotti, according to Freud, all dreams are about the release of sexual tension. Now, long before Freud started exploring the dirty minds of the masses, dream interpretation has been important in many cultures through history. The ancient Sumerians in Mesopotamia have left evidence of dream interpretation dating back to at least 3100 BCE. The Mesopotamian kings paid a lot of heed to dreams, so much that Gudea, king of the Sumerian city-state of Lagash back in 2144 to 2124 BCE, rebuilt a temple because he was told to in a dream. The Babylonians and the Assyrians divided dreams into good, which were sent by the gods, and bad, which were sent by demons. In ancient Egypt, people that had vivid dreams were considered blessed. Maybe they'd just been on the Stilton. Some indigenous American tribes and Mexican civilizations believe that dreams are a way of visiting and contacting their ancestors. Some Native American tribes use vision quests as a rite of passage. This involves fasting and praying for days on end until the participant is so delirious that they have a meaningful dream which should guide them through the rest of their life. Now, by the Middle Ages, Kelsuprees, all dreams were the work of the devil. So imagine how they would have responded when faced with someone acting out a nightmare or sleepwalking. That must have certainly looked like a person was possessed. Are you a sleepwalker? I don't think I've ever done it and I've never seen anyone else doing it. I do talk in my sleep, especially if I'm not feeling well. My mum calls it chuntering. Anyway, sleepwalking is more common amongst children and can be associated with illness or sleep deprivation. And it can also run in families. Sleepwalking isn't just taking a midnight stroll. And people don't walk around with their arms out in front of them like you see in cartoons. People get dressed, make food, or even drive a car. These behaviors are known as parasomnias and occur because our brain is kind of awake and asleep at the same time. A bit like those dolphins I talked about earlier. These parasomnias are either REM sleep related, so the person is kind of acting out their dreams, 
or it's non-REM sleep related and the person is in a deep sleep, but they could have their eyes open and look to actually be awake. They carry out everyday tasks and may even get a bit frisky with their partner, but they'll have no recollection of it once they're awake. I read of one sleepwalker who rearranged all her underwear drawers so that it was filled with dolls and all of the dolls were wearing her knickers. Another time, she ate the number six off a TV remote. When I was growing up, it was common knowledge that if you woke someone when they were sleepwalking, that they'd have a heart attack and die. Whilst this is not true, I repeat, this is not true. If you see someone sleepwalking, don't shout or try to wake them up. Guide them back to bed gently. They won't have a heart attack if you wake them, but they will be majorly confused to find they're sitting at the breakfast table in their wedding dress. Our good friend Aristotle said, It would appear that not only do men dream, but horses also, and dogs, and oxen, aye, and sheep and goats. And dogs show their dreaming by barking in their sleep. We've all seen our cats or dogs twitching whilst they're sleeping, haven't we? Well, that must be them dreaming, right? Research suggests that all mammals experience REM sleep. So why wouldn't they dream? Dolphins have the least REM. Us humans are somewhere in the middle and armadillos are the most prolific dreamers. It's not just mammals though. Birds and reptiles, they have dreams too. They can be whatever they want to be. But what would animals dream about? In 1965, French scientists Michel Jouvet and J.F. Delorme found that by removing part of the brainstem from a cat's brain, it prevented the cat from being paralysed whilst in REM sleep. Instead of lying still whilst it was asleep, the cat got up and walked around, acting out typical activities from the day, like stalking prey, therefore suggesting that the cat was dreaming about normal cat behaviours. In rats, they found the same brainwave pattern whilst the rats were in REM sleep as when they were awake running around a maze, implying that they were running around the maze in their sleep. The brainwaves correlated so perfectly that the researchers could actually work out where exactly in the maze the rat was in his dream. The same could be seen with zebra finches, not running around mazes, obviously, but learning songs. And so researchers monitored the brainwaves of the birds during the day when they were learning their song and saw the same brainwaves when the birds were sleeping, suggesting that the memories were being formed and solidified whilst they were asleep. Whether these animals are aware of the dreams when they wake is hard to say. They would have to be able to distinguish the real world from the dream world and we just don't know if they see dreams in the same way that we do. Oh, oh, oh sorry guys, that was so unprofessional. Did I make any of you yawn then? Why do we yawn when we're tired and why are yawns so darn contagious? There are three main reasons for yawning, but they all stem from the same basic factor. Our brains have got too hot. In winter, people yawn less because they're exposed to hot environments less often. Unless you're snuggled up cosy in a fluffy blanket next to the fire with a cup of hot chocolate watching a film. Oh, I'm yawning just thinking of it. If you're tired or bored, your brain isn't working very hard. It gets a little overheated by a minuscule amount, but it's significant enough. And so we take in a big breath of air to cool everything down. It makes us more alert, we stretch our muscles, and we just try to get all our systems firing again. But why are yawns so contagious? It's thought to be a way of telling other people and animals 
animals in some cases, about the environment around us. If I yawn because it's too warm and sleep-inducing, it acts as a warning to those around me that they also may start to get sleepy, and so we're hardwired to yawn as a response to make sure we all stay alert. And with that, I think it's time to be off to the land of Nod. I can't resist one last fact. The land of Nod originated from the book of Genesis in the Hebrew Bible. It's where Cain was exiled to by God after he killed his brother Abel. Cain turned Nod into a city of craftiness and deceit. He introduced land boundaries and standardised weights and measures. What an absolute cad. The first recorded use of the land of Nod to mean sleep comes from Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels in 1726. And it's time for our last silent talkie of the episode. This is going to be loud. This is going to be brash. I want you to sprint on home. Let's do it. Slam dunk, are you ready to make me? That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening, whether you're running, cycling or doing the washing up. You can follow the show on Twitter at RunWithMePod and Instagram at RunWithMeOnThis. In two weeks' time, look out for the Jog On episode in your podcast feed. 
This will be a mini episode where I give feedback from listeners. And I'm also going to interpret a few listeners' dreams. So if you have a dream you want me to interpret, get in touch. I will try not to make it all too Freudian. Bye bye for now. And remember, what I say may not always make sense, but run with me on this. This podcast is part of Brit Pod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritPodScene.com or BritPodScene on Twitter to find out more.